From the studios of One Jacks Productions, this is The Revealing, a ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, with your hosts, Senior Pastor Frank Silvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Engel, and Praise Leader Chris Wing. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of The Revealing. Uh, I am Pastor Frank Salvaggio. I'm here with uh, my brother, Chris Wing. How you doing, buddy? Not too bad, not too bad. All righty, and uh, we are from One Baptist Church here in Jacksonville, Florida. Been doing this podcast now for about a year and a half. Uh, it's been uh, been fun. Uh, definitely been, been hitting on some good subjects. Yeah. One of those subjects we've been talking about uh, is alcohol in the Bible. Oh, uh, this is our second part, uh, and uh, we're going to jump in uh, to uh, kind of... Uh, Talk about probably, in my humble opinion, uh, from talking about this subject with most people, uh, whether you're Christian, whether you're not, uh, man, uh, just just everybody goes to this passage when talking about um, if it if it's okay to drink uh, wine, uh, and and so first of all, let's just let's just st- let's just lay this out. Number one. If you go to this passage to say it's okay to drink wine and then you're not drinking wine, but you're actually drinking something else, strong drink, but you're using this passage and you say, because I, I hear this all the time, while the dude's got a Jack Daniels in his hand, while Jesus turned water into wine, it's okay to drink alcohol. <laughs> whoa, whoa, time out. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Okay. <laughs> See, you just, you just flubbed it right off the bat. Because uh, everywhere in the Bible, God condemns strong drink. Yeah. And I would call Jack Di- Daniels strong drink. Okay. So uh, don't go to John chapter two to try to prove that. Okay. <laughs> if you're going to do anything, at least have a glass of wine in your hand before you do that. Uh, but uh, I think the point that we're going to try to make here is, is that there is absolutely no way that what Jesus did was, was turned uh, wine into uh, what we call the alcoholic beverage of 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 uh, wine today. Again, g- going off of last uh, last uh, week's episode, we we talked about how um, wine in the Bible. Uh, just because you see that word, don't always assume that it is uh, in association with the alcoholic uh, consumption of it. Uh, many times, many times in the Bible. Uh, the usage of the word is the freshly squeezed, uh, you know, when you freshly squeeze uh, grapes, uh, you will get um, uh, what we would call wine. Now, that's before the fermentation process, okay? Um, it takes time for it to ferment into alcohol. Uh, so um, right there, if you stop and you think about that for a second, uh, you have to ask yourself the question now, when Jesus turned the water into wine, there's two ways we could look at this. Number one is the moment he did that, was there any fermentation process? Okay. You can say, well, but he's God. He could, he could have put fermentation process into it. And, and I will agree. You are right. He could have done that. However, <laughs> if he did, uh, do note this. Uh, he went against scripture in so many different areas. And so that's why uh, we want to take a, a serious look at this. Okay. Uh, and, and we want to look at John chapter two specifically. Um, if I could, if you don't have a problem with this, because nope. um, you're talking about, maybe to set it, maybe to set it up. 
uh, you're talking about how, of course, the last episode we talked about not all wine in the Bible is, is fermented or alcoholic. And just as a historical note, because we're about to get into the wedding feast of Cana, and we have to look at this historically as well. You know, when we're looking at the Word of God, it's contextual and historical. Okay, did this thing actually happen? What was it like in those days when it comes to this thing of wine and fermentation, all that kind of stuff? So maybe briefly, if, if, if it's okay, um, and you can give me just a little latitude here, to set that up before we delve into these scriptures, um, I think it's poignant to note that the, the types of wine that were prevalent in that day, though clearly they used fermented wine, they didn't know about the fermentation process like we do today. You know, down the line, we've, we've perfected alcohol making um, with things like distillation and whatnot that they, they couldn't do back then. It was a much more difficult thing for them to do to begin with. So, yeah, we're talking about the wedding feast, about to talk about the wedding feast of Cana and how Jesus turned the water into wine, and this is the first miracle that he did, by the way. Uh, you know, he's, if he's God in the flesh, he could, he could do however he wants to, but just looking at it from a historical standpoint, it, just to fer- make fermented wine for, for the ancients, if you were, will, was a difficult process because, again, they didn't understand how this thing worked scientifically like we do today. So it was a lot more difficult for them to actually produce the fermented wine for consumption than it was for them to produce uh, different types of wines that were unfermented. So like you were saying, Pastor, just squeezing that the grape into a cup and drinking the juice, well, that's pretty easy to do, isn't it? You just squeeze it and you drink it. Or you could just eat the grapes by themselves. Obviously very easy to do. Um, and so the, the pure product from the grape was far more prevalent in, con, in consumption than the fermented product. And it was easier for them to produce it. It was easier for them to preserve it. Uh, and to keep it and to consume it and from a historical standpoint. I mean, but if you just think about it for, for, for a second, just what tastes better? <laughs> be, be honest. Would, would you grape juice? Sure. Or wine? It's very refreshing. <laughs> I mean, grape juice is going to be very refreshing. It's going to taste really and good. And very good for you. And it's, you know, wine now you start to ferment the product. I'm not saying that some people may not think that wine is great tasting, but I don't think that you're going to think maybe you're so caught up in the wine that you think is great tasting, but I think most people are going to go, oh, that freshly <laughs> squeezed grape juice is really good. And the thing is, is you're, when people go to the alcohol store or the liquor store and they buy wine and they drink it, they're not thinking about the process that went into making it. Sure. And certainly in the in the days of Jesus, uh, you know, it was different. Uh, if you just let something ferment, you couldn't consume it. It was it was not even palatable. Mm-hmm. It was it was disgusting, and it, it wasn't even something you could consume at all. They had to do different things to it by by adding spices to it and whatnot. At some point, they have to stop the fermentation process, and it was it was a very involved thing sure. because they just didn't understand how how to like we do today how to do it from the standpoint we do. And so, like a, my point is, as we delve into this these scriptures, in particular the wedding feast of Cana, we need to understand that. It, even historically throughout the, the world, there there were different types of wines being produced in different cultures. Aristotle wrote about it. Uh, you know, others wrote about how how they made these different types of wines and the process of making them. So it was easier to preserve the the pure product of it. You could dry grapes and they would last for a long period of time and eat the dried fruit. Um, and then what they would do is a lot of times they would take the grapes and they would boil them into what's called a must, M-U-S-T, a must. They boil it down, and when you do that, you immediately stop the fermentation process altogether. 
And so they would boil it down into varying different degrees, and they would store it in barrels with uh, spices and stuff like that that would keep it from forever fermenting. And they could open that, scrape it out, reconstitute it with water, and have a very strongly sweet, pure, unfermented product that could last for up to a couple of years. Whereas producing the fermented process, you, you've got a much more difficult time keeping that from fermenting to a certain point. And, and it was always um, difficult because it would get, it would be subject to different bacteria and, and infections that would make it sour and, and disgusting and unpalatable and just it's pure, you know, toxics. You couldn't drink it. They tried to give that to Jesus on the cross. That wine mixed with vinegar, vinegar, vinegar mixed with gall, it was rotten. And unpalatable. It wasn't They didn't consume that stuff. It was just difficult for them to, my point here is it was difficult for them more so to produce the fermented wines that they could make drinkable than it was the fresh product or the must that I just spoke about, what they would boil it down. We would think about that as concentrate in today's day where you could go to the store and buy the fruit concentrates from the frozen section of your grocery store. What do you do? You dump them into a pitcher and you add water and you reconstitute it. It's the same thing they would do. That lasts for a long period of time. So my point here is that it was far easier for them to produce and to um, preserve the pure product of the grape than it was the fermented product. Yeah. So, okay. So let's, let's just take a look at this passage in John chapter two and, and, um, kind of break down some very key points of it. I'm just going to go ahead and read uh, the passage, starting in John chapter 2, verse 1, and then we'll come back and talk about it. It says, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, and after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the wine that was made that was made the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, when then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Okay. So um, again, we know the story. Uh, there's a wedding in Cana. Jesus goes down to this wedding with his disciples, uh, and uh, they uh, he turns. Uh, they run out of wine, and Jesus turns water into wine, and the whole wedding party drinks the wine, and it's good wine. Everybody is loving the wine that they're drinking here, and 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 all that we read here, and then of course. Uh, the person that is going to advocate for drinking of alcohol or, or more specifically wine uh, is going to say, well, see, here you go. Jesus turned water into wine. We're, we're, obviously, it's okay. And uh, what we're going to say is, uh, hold on a minute. <laughs> Put the brakes on. Uh, let's make sure we understand what's actually going on in this passage. And let's make sure we actually understand what he actually did and what is the reality uh, of 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 the matter, and not try to turn this into a situation that suits our pet mm. doctrines or whatever it is we want to we want to try to uh, propagate. Number one, 
as we talked about in the last session, uh, there are uh, different usages of the word wine uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, but we're going to specifically talk about that word uh, oinos, O-I-N-O-S, uh, and because uh, uh, that is the word, uh, the Greek word that's being used here in, in John chapter 2. And what we want to make sure that you completely understand is, is that there's no, no doubt about it. This has everything to do with non-fermented grape juice. Uh, that is what the word denotes. So from the very get-go, Make sure you understand uh, that the word is 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 in association with the non-fermented grape juice. So this would be the freshly squeezed grape of the vine. It's the same word that is used uh, at Jesus's Last Supper uh, when he uh, when it says there that he turned. It was the freshly uh, uh, squeezed grape. It's the same word used there, which shows us that it's, uh, this is the freshly squeezed grape juice. So it's not um, uh, uh, alcoholic wine, okay? Now, you say, well, okay, are you sure about that? Well, I, I am sure about that uh, for a lot of reasons. Number one, notice uh, again in verse number, uh, let's see here, nine, I believe it is, yes, um, no, verse 10. Notice what it says here. And they saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk. Well, okay. When men have well drunk wine, <laughs> what happens to them? If you're drinking alcoholic wine? You're going to get drunk. You're drunk for sure. Okay. Visibly so, drunk. So, 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 so a couple things. Number one, what I would like to know is... I, I listen, I used to drink too. Okay. And I know this much that when I had well drunk, what I drank at, at that point, I couldn't decipher what was good and what wasn't anymore. Oh, yeah. I was just drinking, man. You could have given me the worst wine on the table and I wouldn't have cared at that point. Maybe in the beginning I would have cared. But by the time I got to that point, it didn't matter no more. No. Yet these people were able to discern that they were drinking better wine after they had well drunk. And I would just like to know how they were able to discern that, okay, if they were all well drunk. Number two, if, if they were all well drunk, then what Jesus did when he turned six, what, what's the word? The firkins. The, firkins. Do you understand what a firkin is? <laughs> At minimum, a firkin is somewhere between 20 and 30 gallons. Some believe it may have even been upwards to 60 gallons, but let's just go on the minimum and say 20 to 30 gallons, okay? Six, six 30 gallons would be what? A lot. That's 180 gallons. <laughs> Listen, that must have been a really big wedding going on there to drink all that. I mean, do you not understand that what Jesus would have been promoting at that point if he turned that into alcoholic wine is completely obliterating that party? Mm. I mean, not just – at that point, they were already well drunk. It says they had already well drank. They were already pretty sloshed if, if, <laughs> if, that's if, what it if was it's like. alcohol. Yeah. Now Jesus turns around and gives them six firkins of even better stuff that's going to get them even 
more <laughs> sloshed. So, so what we're seeing here is that if that's the case, everything we just said in the last episode about drunkenness and that God actually says about drunkenness in his word has just gone out the window. Well, here's the thing, okay? The, I, I, you got to love how God's word just throws some stuff in there. Verse 11 to me is probably the most important verse of the whole passage. And it has, does not have the word no. wine in it at all. Look, look what it says. This beginning of miracles. So get this. This was the first miracle Jesus did. To do what? To manifest his glory. And I am sorry, but I have a hard time believing that the first time Jesus manifested his glory was by going against scripture mm. and getting people drunk. Mm. I just, I, I don't, I, I can't buy that. Uh, I, I can't buy that he contributed to drunkenness, not my Jesus. You know, the thing is, yeah, that's that's really, an, if you want to put a proverbial nail in the coffin, that one really is it for, for me anyways. And, and really when I think people, and this is the problem, man, when people, when they read these passages, they don't stop to think about it afterwards they, or meditate on it or do what we know we should do, which is to compare Scripture with Scripture. They're not thinking about any of the other verses in the Bible that talk about drunkenness. They're just looking at, this is what it says, and, and, and on a surface view, if I read it, I'm going to, you know, you're going to, I can understand you coming to the conclusion that he made, uh, turned water into alcoholic wine, because you're not, you're, that's as far as you're going with it. You're just reading the surface, you know what I mean? Sure. You're not, you're not digging any deeper into it. But then when you get to something like that verse in verse 11, how, how that cannot make you stop and think for just a second well, wait a minute. This is the first miracle he did, and he did it to show forth his glory. This doesn't add up. No, not at all. Even uh, if you don't uh, look at the other you know, verses. You know, especially when you understand that, you know, Jesus was our high priest. He is he our, is high, our high, priest. high priest. He Jesus is our king. Mm. Um, you know, the book of Hebrews makes that point of him being the, the great high priest very, very clear. And listen, you have to remember when this event took place, it took place under Old Testament mm-hmm. uh, dispensation. dispensation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, and you can't argue that. This took place prior to the cross. It took place while the law was still in effect. Okay? If you know anything about anything about Scripture, you know that's true. Mm. Okay? And here's the thing. Okay? Uh, Jesus was uh, 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 the great high priest. Okay, well, if Jesus was the great high priest, do note that uh, uh, Old Testament law, uh, let me give you Habakkuk 2.15 okay. to make it the point. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth his bottle to him, and maketh him drunken also. <laughs> if Jesus <laughs> made that wedding party, it says, woe when you give your neighbor even drink, and make them drunketh also. Jesus would have violated Old Testament law. He would have violated, and yet he did this to show forth his, mer- his, his first his miracle and show forth his glory. It, it, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make uh, any sense. Hebrews yeah. 7.26 says, for such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, Made higher than the heavens. We we just learned last episode that uh, 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 drunkenness, no doubt about it, is unrighteousness. It's sin. Well, I, how could Jesus turn that wedding party 
into a bunch of centers. Uh, that, that it just doesn't make uh, any logical uh, sense. Uh, we are told in Leviticus 10, 9 through 11, uh, it teaches that the high priest was not to consume uh, alcohol and that they are to be holy and clean. We're told in Proverbs 31, kings should not drink. Uh, uh, and again, do note, Jesus is the great high priest and he is the king of kings. There's no way uh, he could have uh, uh, been or have had any uh, part in this, uh, because if he did, he would have negated uh, Scripture, and he didn't come to destroy Scripture, he came to fulfill them. Right, and and that verse uh, that you blew very quickly by (laughs) in Leviticus 10 is really a, a... A big one, as, as Jesus is the high priest. Aaron was the high priest. And it says in Leviticus 10, 8, 9, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee. When you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. I mean, that was... A statute for how long? Forever. Just do just not. Not, when, not. Not when Jesus turns it into <laughs> wine. and oh, that, that, right. that, you know. Again, you're crossing that line again. He says, don't don't drink it, wine, nor he pairs it together with strong drink. So he's, cl- he's clearly talking about the uh, fermented uh, wine. Uh, and that's something that, that, that was a big no-no for the priests and the high priests. And Because why? The tabernacle was a, a pure place. Why? Because that was where uh, God's, God dwelt. <laughs> so in a place where God dwells, you're not to have anything impure. And if I know anything about anything, I know that we now are the tabernacle and uh, we are supposed to be pure. So you've got, again, you got to take that idea logically across the board. Uh, if we're, our tabernacle is supposed to be pure, it makes sense what it says in Leviticus 10 that w- you're not to have anything impure in it. I mean, again, you just got to take that through all the way through. But um, so that's really a good one. I mean, that really is, that's, that's really good to me. Uh, you, you were talking about verse 11, I think it was in, in John 2. Um, is that the one where it says, let me go back here. Oh, that was his first miracle. Yeah. But that verse where you were talking about they were well drunk in verse ten, it was. There's something else he says. Um, if I could, if I could park on this for just a minute, he says in that verse. I'll read it again. It says unto him, every man that at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, and that's where you started talking. Uh, he says just before that, set forth good wine. And so I want to talk about that word good for just a couple of minutes, if I could. Um, the word good there in the Greek is a connotation, uh, has the connotation of morality. Mm-hmm. So like you were saying before, when somebody's well drunk, I, I, I know me, you know, in the past when I was drinking and, and not walking with the Lord, when I was well drunk or drunk, drunkenness, uh, I wasn't thinking about what was right and what was wrong, because that's what alcohol does, right? It removes your inhibitions, mm-hmm. your ability to determine that which is good from that which is not, that for which is right from that which is not. And right here in this passage, he's talking about this being a good wine. And if that word good carries the connotation of morality, virtuous, we got a problem if that's alcohol. Right. Right out of the gate. Because contradicts it, lots of other scripture, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, because God has something to say about virtue, too. Well, that's the first thing we're supposed to add to our well, faith. Well, you know, and, and Chris, right, this is why people are going to say, oh, you, know, you see, even your King James Bible has got, got contradictions. <sighs> only if you think they are. And you haven't <laughs> Don't actually, dig deeper. Yeah, only if you think <laughs> they are and you haven't dig, you know, you haven't actually studied it out to find out, oh, well, you know, it's not a contradiction. 
no, wine actually in this passage is not talking about the alcoholic beverage. Now it changes the whole passage, doesn't it? Absolute context is key. Now, now all of a sudden it's no longer a contradiction. It's actually correct. And now you can compare scripture with scripture to prove it because that's how God proves something. He's yeah. able to compare it with other scripture to, yeah. to drive the point home. If this is good wine, it's something that is moral sure, and therefore it is also attached to virtue. And then you can go look up virtue mm-hmm. and see that that's the first thing that we're to add to our faith in this, mm-hmm. those seven uh, steps of spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. And now you can put this whole thing together very nicely. Whereas if you took it from the other perspective, you got nothing but contradiction. Sure. You can't even you can't even work it out. Sure. You can't rightly divide it. Yeah. So that's a problem. You know, and I think so. Okay. So that's your John two passage, and and and, and just for the sake of of saying it. Uh, you know, I think the other place where I hear it a lot is, uh, you know, the uh, the Last Supper, and we kind of make mention to it already. And and I want you to do notice that you know in the Last Supper, um, it, it, just just so that we are are clear on this, um, it, it actually uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't even think it uses the word wine. No, he doesn't. And, and so it is somewhat surprising to me uh, that people will use this uh, as a, uh, a verse to prove that drinking wine is, uh, is uh, acceptable mm-hmm. when the fact of the matter is it doesn't even use the word wine. Uh, matter of fact, what it says there uh, more specifically, and this is what I was saying about that Onios uh, 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 scripture, uh, it, it actually says um, uh, in Matthew 26, 29, for instance, it says, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you. And so, so to think that this is wine, the alcoholic kind, uh, uh, I mean, it flat out says fruit of the vine. So <laughs> where did you get that from? Um, uh, you know, there's a whole religious system that believes it's alcoholic wine. And that's what they drink. And and I'm going to say, uh, man, you might want to go back and read that passage again. Make sure you get it. In Matthew 26, it's recorded. In Luke 22, it's also recorded. And he says the same thing. He says the fruit of the vine. Now, let's just... We can't all agree with what the Bible means. We can all agree with what the Bible says, right? We say that a lot around here. If I'm going to say fruit of the vine, what, what, what is the only thing that I can infer from that? Well, I'm not inferring... I'm not inferring wine. The only like, thing you can uh, infer. How we see it, alcoholic. Right. I would infer it as wine, non-alcoholic, what Jesus made over there in John chapter 2. Right. So, so because grape juice. <laughs> if, if he says, I'm not going to take this cup, so we, got, we know it's a cup, and we know it's the fruit of the vine, the only thing you can, by just reading it for what it is, is that it would be grape juice. Sure. There was no, there's no way to just insert in there that it's now something that's been fermented. It's something that's gone, you know, you have to start adding those things is what I'm saying. Uh, he doesn't even use the word wine, like you said. So that, that's a clear uh, distinction right there. The only thing that I can get from this or glean from this just by reading it on the surface is that fruit, vine, cup, grape juice. That's, I mean, that's a logical thing. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe you think I'm crazy for listening to this, but... To, to inf- you have to read into it something that's well, not there I, to make it I think, I fermented think, wine. And I think it would also be important, probably enough to know if uh, just just to make sure we 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 uh, throw that out out there is, um, uh, you know, Jesus said, "I will not drink henceforth." He didn't drink it. Oh, he didn't even drink he, it. Even so, if it was, he didn't even drink it. Oh, he didn't even drink it. 
<laughs> uh, which means probably the disciples didn't either. And it also um, says, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. When's he going to drink it again? When will, will he drink it rather? Yeah, when I'm kingdom. in my father's kingdom. Yeah. So now you have to now say, okay, if it's alcoholic wine, well, later in the kingdom, he's also going to have it there too. So now you yeah. have to fast forward and you have to take it to his logical end. It just becomes ridiculous. But, you know, what I think, and let's we can kind of close this with this. I think we've had a lot of uh, uh, discussion on this. I think, you know, here's the thing that I think is important. Pictures in the Bible um, teach us something. Oh, absolutely. They're very, very valuable. Similitudes. And the unfortunate thing that I think that um, unfortunately has happened in, in uh, many uh, of a church today is the failure of uh, the teachings of similitudes uh, or pictures. And because people aren't um, grabbing on to the fact that this is one of the greatest tools that God uses to teach us truth in the Bible. Um, Doctrine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so when I say that it's, it's a failure in the church today, that, that, this isn't just some small thing. This mm. is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the question now becomes is, okay, what, what does wine picture in the Bible? And what could we learn from that? And is there something we could learn from that? And that might help us understand uh, how God views, uh, um, and and I will say this, the alcoholic form of wine in the Bible. Uh, And and I think we can easily come to that conclusion once we start to to, uh, 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 understand compare scripture with scripture and start putting things in its place. Okay. So what, what, what does wine, fermented wine, picture in the Bible? Oh, God uses that as a, as a picture of his wrath. Yeah. And, 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 and wine, you know, interestingly enough, uh, is, is, uh, you know, it's got a particular color to it. Uh, mostly, usually, right, uh, and red, mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, a lot of times in the Bible, uh, there is a uh, picture and understanding of wine as as blood. Makes sense when you start to think about it, and 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 so now now listen, we're not talking about uh, uh, unfermented wine, the freshly squeezed wine. Uh, now we're talking about that fermented wine for a minute. And what did you say uh, in the last episode? What did you say about fermented wine? What is it? It's what? It's something that's rotten. It's rotten. Yeah. It's sick. It also has the connotation, or we would think about that fermentation process as um, leaven, it, what it, leaven does. Yeah. And it, that's, it, that's a forbidden thing. And let's think about this for a second. The longer that wine sits there, it gets more what? Rotten. And potent, Right. It's more potent. It gets more rotten. It gets more sick. And, and here's an interesting thing, okay? Um, you learn a little something about blood in the Bible. Number one, uh, Adam and Eve, prior to the fall, they were made with flesh and bone. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until their fall that uh, blood started to course through their veins. And... Uh, we have done studies uh, uh, in our church before on this subject. Um, uh, I think number six is a, a, a is a, is a very important passage. But 
you know, the question might become is, you know, okay, listen, they didn't eat an apple. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's just be clear on that. Uh, that's that's uh, something the Roman Catholic Church came up with, and it's 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 not biblical. But the question is that they did, or the the reality is, though the Bible does say that they did eat a fruit. Okay, and so if we were going to allow Scripture to tr- start to teach us what that fruit could have been, uh, what we learn is that and you say, "Well, now wait a minute, fruit doesn't grow on trees." Uh, oh, hold on a minute though, but the vine of the tree. Uh, cer- certainly does. And the Bible is very clear uh, when it talks about um, how uh, grapes grow on vines and can come from a vine tree. Vine tree is the thing. Yeah. So yeah. so there you go. So when you say they ate the fruit of the tree, uh, we could still be talking about uh, grapes here. Okay. okay. And uh, I think number six gives it away. In yeah. my opinion. Would you like me uh, to read it? Uh, sure, go ahead, read it, and then we can discuss okay. it. So, yeah, real quick, just because you mentioned it real quick, um, that whole thing of the apple, that, that was something that was that came from the Latin and the Catholic Church. That, that It was a medieval pun. The Latin word uh, comes from the word for evil, which is malum, and, and that means, and malice is close to that. It means apple, so that's where they got that from. So there's no, there's no connection biblically to that at all. So, you're, okay, you're talking about... What fruit was it that they actually ate from that that tree in the garden? And uh, we're trying to pair that up with a grape, uh, which is, you get to Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of, the Nazarite, of a Nazarite to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine, strong drink, shall not shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made from of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. Uh, gone completely. Um, you're, not, you're not allowed to, to consume any product of the grape, which grows on a vine tree. And then you also will see that show up, I believe, in Ezekiel again. He talks about the vine tree. In Ezekiel 15, 2, he says, Son of man, what is the vine tree more than any tree than a branch which among the trees of all the forest? He says it again in verse 6, Therefore saith the Lord God, as the vine tree among the trees of the forest. So this thing of a vine tree is is a real thing. It's not just something that uh, is mentioned in Scripture. It's an actual tree that, that grapes will grow on. Um, so it does exist. It is a thing. So before you stop and say, well, yeah, uh, grapes don't grow on trees. They do grow on trees. <laughs> There's different right. types of grapes that grow different ways, and they grow on a vine tree, and it is a thing. And, you know, and, and see, okay, so how do you, how do you, how, how come you're, you're, you're uh, correlating wine with blood? Well, many viruses in the Bible, but uh, here's one for you, Genesis 49, 11. Says binding his foal under the vine and his ass colt under the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. So there you go. Also, Deuteronomy thirty-two fourteen That's says the blood one. of a grape. The blood of a grape. Yep. Okay. So so clearly, uh, God gives us an indication uh, that uh, what what could be on a tree is vine, is vines which could be grapes, and clearly He denotes the fact that. Uh, um, Grapes uh, have a correlation with blood. And by the way, no other fruit mentioned in the Bible does. No, absolutely Zero. not. 
And there are only five fruits actually mentioned by name right. in the Bible. Correct. Uh, which I could go through if you want. No, we don't need to. That's, that's good <laughs> enough. Uh, but here's the thing, okay? What, what, what we have to come to the conclusion of is, okay, what happened? What, first of all, what did Adam and Eve eat? I believe they ate grapes. I believe the same. And I believe that when they ate grapes, what actually happened? Mm-hmm. And I believe what happened was their life force went from being the spirit of God, which now left them, to the uh, to blood. Mm-hmm. I think blood started to pour, you know, flow uh, through, their, flow veins. through their veins. Sure, because uh, Leviticus seventeen eleven tells us that the life of the flesh is in the, the blood. blood yep. That wasn't true prior to uh, uh, what happened in the Garden of Eden, because uh, Genesis two seven tells us that God breathed into man, and man became a living soul. Uh, man was made flesh and bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so man didn't become flesh and blood until after uh, he ate of that fruit and he fell. And so interestingly enough, the thing that we need to know about blood is uh, blood is one of, it was not even one of, it is the most important thing in a human body in the aspect that you can live without everything in your body but blood. And I think that is crazy to think about. Well, wait a minute, man. Uh, I can't live without my heart. You could have an artificial heart, right? And what does that? What does the heart do? Uh, it pumps blood, <laughs> right? But you can have an artificial heart. Uh, well, I can't live without my brain. You could be brain dead, and your yeah. body still be alive. Be alive. Um, think about it. There's nothing in your body that you have uh, that you know couldn't be artificial or replaced. But you can't. Blood has to be 100% blood. And here's the crazy part about blood. Uh, blood is the very thing keeping you alive, no questions asked. Uh, but here's the thing. It's, it's blood, it's, it is blood that's killing you. It's both. It's because blood is... It's corrupt. It's poison. It's poison in your body, yeah. And there you go. Now connect it. Connect it to wine. What did we just say? What have we been saying? What that fermented process is. It's poison. Yeah. And I think that's a very interesting correlation to how God uh, connects those two dots for us. But then to even take it even further, uh, as you said, uh, God correlates wine with wrath. Mm. Um, all one has to do is go to Revelation 14 uh, to see uh, the connection there. Um, because near the end of the chapter, when it's talking about the second coming of Christ, he is literally trampling the wine press of the Almighty God. And when he tramples the wine press of the, I mean, do you understand what a wine press is, right? Mm-hmm. It's how where they used to take the grapes and they used to throw it in the grapes, and the women would all sit there and they would uh, stamp it, stomp it, yeah. and then the grape, you know, it would. That's the picture that God's painting. And it says, it says there that when Jesus makes his return and he tramples the winepress of the almighty God, um, of the wrath of the almighty God, excuse me, the, the blood is going to literally go up to the horse's bridles. What is it? 1300 furlongs? Uh, something like 1260 furlongs, wasn't it? Uh, I'm pretty sure 1300. 1260 is the, is the, the days of the week. Um, Regardless, yeah. it's a long. It's a long. It's basically the uh, 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 um, uh, distance right uh, from uh, modern day Petra to Jer- uh, which is in Jordan right. to uh, Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, 
do, do you realize how much blood that's going to be? Uh, up to the bridle of the horse, uh, up to the horse's bridle. Yeah. Uh, my gosh. Um, and and God is 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 uh, just executing His wrath uh, on on, uh, and He uses grapes as His uh, uh, picture uh, to show forth uh, His wrath. Uh, I think that is, to me, one of the most vivid and uh, important parts of the study, uh, because again, when you start to recognize and realize how God pictures uh, uh, blood in the Bible, uh, number one, uh, the the most obvious one is is now we understand why we needed Jesus's blood to be spilled. Yeah, because our blood's corrupted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that you know that's a whole other subject. But taking the blood out of the message is not a good right. idea. Right. Uh, but but number two, um, when you start to correlate with you know and and how God pictures wine as blood in the Bible, uh, man, he's just not painting a a, a, a pretty picture. Mm-hmm. He's painting a picture of, 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 of what our curse is. He's painting a, a picture of uh, what his wrath is going to uh, picture. Uh, and, and he's using grapes and blood to, to uh, show us that. And I don't think it's any coincidence at all. Uh, that uh, that uh, when you're looking at a fermented, uh, corrupt uh, wine, uh, why God would have a problem with it? You know, in Revelation 14 is is the clear text where he's really uh, pouring that wrath out. And in verse 10, it was 1600 furlongs, by the way, just so you 1600. know, <laughs> yeah, and which is us in Revelation 14. Uh, so he says in verse 10, and this this is a powerful verse. I, that's why I always like to read this when, when, when I get into this kind of uh, discussion is because if we're talking about the wrath of God and we're, and we're showing how he pictures uh, the, the wine and the grapes and the blood of, of the grapes as a picture of his wrath, he says this in Revelation 14.10 when he's, and he's coming to, to uh, execute that wrath. He says, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out, and he says this, without mixture into the cup of of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the Lord and the angels in the presence of his Lamb. So that, that's that's tough stuff right there. But he says that, it's interesting, he says, without mixture. There is nothing in there to dilute it, okay? In other words, he's pouring it out at full strength, the whole thing, and, and it's his indignation and his wrath. This is powerful imagery, just if you just think about that of what he's actually doing. He's in verse 20 in chapter 14, he says, and the wine press, that's what we were talking about earlier, was trodden without the city and the blood came out of the wine press, even up to the horse's bridles of 1600 furlongs. And so he's, that's how he's doing it. This is the picture that he uses for his wrath is to trod the wine press of the fierceness of his wrath, his indignation. And he pours that out without mixture. That's tough. That's hard. That's something that he's just he's never done before. He's executed judgment in the past. Harsh judgment has been executed, but not wrath like this. And he uses that picture. The only the only thing that I think might even come close to comparing is what he did to Jesus on the, the cross. cross. Yep. Um, certainly has not executed judgment like that before mm-hmm. uh, uh, on on mankind. And you say, what about the flood? Well. Not like this, man. Uh, you know, 
listen, when, when, when Jesus returns, the word's going to be coming out of his mouth. And while the word's coming out of his mouth, people are literally going to be melting right where they stand. Their eyes are going to be consumed. I mean, this is, you know, God's got something for sin. And he is angry at it every day. And I think there is a direct correlation to drunkenness and sin, no doubt. And that's why I would just say, uh, I think you're playing a very dangerous game when you try to uh, minimize or uh, give any kind of room for alcohol in your life. If you try to justify that, what won't you justify? You're Um, just pushing that envelope. And my next question might be is why? So you can do something you want to do. do. Why do you (laughs) fight for something so hard? When, you know, when you're willing to fight for something that hard, um, I'm not saying that that's always bad. I think there are things that people are willing to fight for that's worth fighting for. Sure. But, But what would be the means to the end of fighting for drinking alcohol? I'm just curious. Mm. Like, what is it you're fighting for? Um, I, I just don't see when you start to put Scripture together, I don't see God really ever talking about it in a positive sense. I really don't. And, uh, uh, and even if you might come across a verse or two that might even suggest it might be positive, uh, I, would, I would say, well, Listen, it's like anything else, but now come across all the negatives. And man, you're not even close. <laughs> there are so many verses to, to show the negative. I mean, look, you can't even, Proverbs has a ton of them. Just look at wisdom. <laughs> mm. just, there's wisdom. I mean, just time and time and time and time again, uh, uh, Solomon is, is, is speaking against Drinking of wine, speaking against strong drink. Proverbs twenty three comes to mind. Speaking against drunkenness, and yeah. it's, listen, it's not drinking of wine to get drunk. Some of those verses don't even mention the word drunkenness in them, and you just got to ask yourself, man, mm, you know, what does what does uh, all of this, uh, you know? ultimately mean and lead to and um you know if you're thinking about it it's making me think about it it really comes down to a heart issue where's your heart at sure is it something you're just trying to justify so that you can do it because you want to do it or or is there something are you really seeking to glorify god because that's really ultimately what all we're really supposed to be about is bringing glory to God. Anything that we do in life, whether it's drinking alcohol or, or anything, we need to stop and think before we touch anything or do anything, is this something that would glorify God? I think if we actually did that, and I'm pointing to myself on this one, well, we all can. there's so much stuff in my life that I, I, I wouldn't do and I shouldn't do, mm-hmm. right? Abstain from all appearance of evil. I, I'm guilty just as much as the next quote-unquote sure. Christian as as, as doing things that I shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. But if we, I think what we really need to do is it's a, it's a self-reflection time to, to just think about where's my heart in this? What am I really trying to gain from this? Is this something that needs to happen? Is this something that's going to bring glory to God? Uh, and when you look at this thing of alcohol and, you know, in the Bible, if, if you haven't seen it at, at to this point, as you've been listening, if God pictures this thing as something very, very bad, 
as a picture of his wrath, as something not to do. Which is clear, which is clear, he does. Is something that is likened to drunkenness, which is something that, you know, follow it down the part path. Part of the curse. It it's should, part of the curse. Yeah, it is. I mean, it really should stop and think. It doesn't take a whole lot to start to look at it and be like, you know what, this just is not something that God views as good at all anywhere in the Bible. It, it, and even if you can try to justify to yourself that you think it might be, I think there's enough in the Bible to suggest that it's not. That, yeah. you know what, just lean and err on the side of, mm, probably shouldn't do it. It makes me think of... and But but you're right, Chris. You know, and that's the thing. Uh, we have obviously made this, and, and we've spent a couple episodes here talking about alcohol, but we could turn this into anything now. <laughs> Right. And, 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 and we're so good at it. And I'm not even, like you said, I'm not even talking to anybody else right now. I'm talking to me. Mm. We're so good at justifying the things that we want to do. And the unfortunate reality is, is that, uh, number one, uh, that ain't going to work out very well in the end. Uh, because as much as we like to justify stuff, uh, God is the final judge. He's the one that justifies and he's the one that does, you know, is going to, uh, call out what, and bring to light what needs to be brought to light. Uh, and this is just one of those things. Mm. Uh, in every areas of our lives, we need to be uh, pure. We need to be sober-minded. Sober-minded. <laughs> we need to be um, um, paying attention to the fact that, uh, you know, we can't allow our own convictions uh, that we uh, 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 deemed to be okay, uh, to be the barometer. It's, it's God's words, the barometer at the end of the day. And there's all kinds of areas in our lives where we violate that, uh, probably on a daily basis. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, so, it makes me think about, we're talking about the grape, we're talking about the vine tree, we're talking about how it's a picture of blood, where it also is the only fruit in the Bible that's ever uh, forbidden in any way, shape or form. And, 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 if we're talking about how it grows on this vine tree, it made me think about how Jesus calls himself in, in, in John chapter sure. 15, the, the true, true vine. vine. Why would he say vine at all? And why would he say true vine? Yep. There's something to ponder in that as we're, sure. as we're self-reflecting here. And, and, and you read John chapter 15, and he's telling, it, telling us that I am the true vine. And by the way, that was the last of the seven I am statements mm-hmm. that he made, and there were seven of them. He makes this saying, I am the true vine, and, and, and you have to... Uh, bear fruit, okay, uh, th- that only he can help you to, to bear or to uh, produce. Um, it, we're, he's the vine, we're the branches, and we have to abide in him and bring forth much fruit and all that. And, and apart from him, you can do nothing, it says in verse uh, f- 5 of chapter 15 in John. And, and, and we're and, supposed to be his fruit. <laughs> true. So, you know, again, I would have to ask, man, do you really think that... Jesus was an alcoholic, or that Jesus drank wine, man. He was accused of being a wine bibber, but he never was. Do you really think he did? Because if you, listen, if you're a non-Christian and you think you did, I get why you're, th- I even, get, I was there, man. Yeah. I get why you're saying that. You're wrong, but I get why you're saying that. <laughs> but what would confuse me more than anything is to claim this Bible as the authority, claim you're a Christian, claim that this Bible is without air, and yet think that Jesus was a drink drinker of wine. Because if he was, he violated so many Old Testament scripture, it's ridiculous. He wouldn't be the true vine anymore no. either. 
No. He's the true vine. We're the branches. We're supposed to abide in him so that we can do what? Bear fruit. Bear much fruit. We can't bear fruit What if we're not abiding in the true vine. And what fruit? Fruit of the Spirit, right? We talk, it, it all goes back to what we, we've been talking about. You're supposed to be uh, walking in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit so you won't fill the lust of the flesh, which we talked about before, which was well, drunkenness. I he, and, which I think he talks all, about the wine. He talks about the wine there, doesn't he? In John 15? No, Ephesians 5. Oh, Ephesians 5, he does, yeah. Right? I mean, in, he, in conjunction with the fruit of the Spirit, yeah, in 518, he, I mean, he, he says, flat, Be not drunk it. with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, yeah. wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So how can we be fruit? How can we be the fruit that has been bared to f- bear more fruit if we are drunk with wine? Yeah. In which people will say, well, it just says, don't be drunk. Again, you have to insert your definition of drunk. And he says, don't be filled with uh, drink, strong, with uh, alcohol, drinking, uh, be filled with the Spirit. And if you're filled with something, what does that mean? Yeah. There's no room for anything else. So, All right. Well, I think we, uh, we exhausted this one pretty good. I um, mean, there's certainly a lot more enough we to can make talk you think. about, but enough to make you think. <laughs> I think so. Um, uh, we certainly hope you uh, just understood our heart on this. Uh, mm. You know, hey, we're, we're, these are some touchy subjects sometimes that we talk about. And... Uh, at the end of the day, we're not your Holy Spirit. We're not your, we're not your, uh, we're not the final answer. We're not the final authority. Uh, we're just trying to point you to scriptures that uh, we believe is the final authority. And we have been uh, convinced of or convicted of. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's, it's our job to uh, teach others the things which we have learned. Uh, so we're, we're just trying to do that. If you're listening and uh, you don't, uh, you know, you don't share the same views as we do, uh, don't, uh, I, I'll tell you this, I, I don't know that um, I would, uh, I would break fellowship, I think. I guess it depends. Yeah. Maybe I would. Um, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is if I was out and about and I saw a church member with a glass of wine on the table, would I break fellowship with them and kick them out of the church? We'd be uh, having a conversation, though. <laughs> definitely. Definitely be having a conversation. Uh, but I don't know that I would go that far. Um, but, you know, on the same, on the same, on the same line, uh, you know, uh, this, is a, this, is a, this is an important subject. Yeah. It goes deeper than just having a glass of wine with your dinner or something. Right. It is an important subject, and we really should make sure we have a good uh, biblical grounded mm. understanding of it. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I say that is because, you know, we're, we're so good at justifying. Sure. And, and if we're willing to justify this, uh, I guarantee you. We have other things in our lives that we're justifying. Absolutely. And I'll go to say, even if we don't justify this, we're still good at justifying other things. And really, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, we don't want to be doing anything that doesn't bring God glory. We shouldn't, no. No matter what it is. Yeah. And so we should be uh, comparing uh, our our lifestyles and the things that we're doing uh, to Scripture, if if we're if we're going to truly say that Jesus is our Lord, if we're going to truly say that Scripture is our authority, then I do think that there is a, uh, a a responsibility that comes with that. Absolutely. And and if we don't believe that, man, 
you know, I, I'm sorry, man, but I, I just got to say, I don't know that you think that uh, this Christian life really is what you think it is. I think you've kind of made up your own beliefs of it. And uh, all I can say is, I, I'm not the judge. Chris isn't the judge. One Baptist Church isn't the judge. Uh, but I do know what the Bible says about that. Mm-hmm. And there is going to come a day where we are going to have to answer for it all. And, uh, you know, it's just our position that, um, you know, we love you, man. We care about you. We'll pray for you. We'll do whatever you want. We'll talk with you. We'll have conversations with you. If we don't agree on something, so be it. That, that That's, that's you know, but but it is our responsibility to say what we think and why we think it and give you scripture to back up what we're, what, what we're saying. As long as we can give you biblical evidence to what we're saying, that is our responsibility. Yeah. And so don't hold that against us. Don't get mad at us for that. Uh, we're doing what we believe is right. And uh, we have the evidence to back it up, we believe. And uh, so with that being said, uh, thank you for joining us uh, once again. I think Chris has got one more thing he wants to drop here. Just want to close with this verse. In considering what we've been talking about and anything else in our lives that uh, may fall into this category, let's, let's be reminded of 2 Corinthians 7, 1, which says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, that's little s spirit, our spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Ponder that when you start thinking about this topic and anything else in your life that would cause you not to glorify God. Because at the end of the day, that is what it's all about. Amen. Uh, whatsoever things you eat or drink, do it all Unto the to the glory of the Lord. And uh, I think uh, definitely when we can apply that verse for sure, what we're talking about. Uh, okay. Well, we love you guys and we will talk to you next time. Yep. Thank you for listening to The Revealing, a podcast ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Senior Pastor Frank Silvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Engel. For more information about One Baptist Jacks, please go to our website, onebaptistjacks.world, or email us, info at onebaptistjacks.world.